Hello, and welcome to the weekly Bundaberg Now podcast. I'm Dana McGackis, and today we have another interesting program with news and information from across the Bundaberg region. Soon, we'll hear from former local journalist Paul Cochran about his podcast series on the Childers Backpacker Hostel Fire 20 years ago. We learn more about the $30 million multiplex sport and convention centre and the history of local macadamia industry. But first, here is Michael Gorey with the news headlines. Thank you, Dana. Two Bundaberg Region residents were recognised this week in the Queen's Birthday Honours. Turtle researcher Dr Cole Limpus and local blood donor Robin Murray both received medals in the Order of Australia. Bundaberg Brew Drinks is expanding and diversifying to sell its world-famous ginger beer in cans. CEO John McLean says the 200ml cans were launched due to consumer demand. Upgrades to North Isis Road near Childers have been completed and the road reopened this week to general traffic. The work by Council involved widening the road, improving drainage and upgrading culverts. There have been no new cases of coronavirus in the Bundaberg region since a Victorian man was confirmed positive last Friday. Extensive contact tracing has been undertaken. Dana, back to you. Thanks, Michael. We're joined again this week by Paul Cochran, a former local journalist who covered the Childers Backpacker Hostel fire when it occurred 20 years ago. So, Paul, can you give us an insight into what motivated you to produce this podcast series, Childers, The Full Story? Look, the podcast series really came about out of me sort of sensing that I felt there was so much more to tell about Childers. It news being news, I you know I've I was once a newspaper reporter and and then I was a television reporter and and uh, you know a newspaper story might be five hundred words, which you know opens itself up to a handful of quotes, really um, a couple of minutes conversation at the very most um, verbatim, and then in television. You know, ninety seconds is sort of your minimum usually with a with a story, and you know, someone a talking head might appear twice, maybe three times at the most, ten seconds at a time. So thirty seconds, it really doesn't lend itself to the the opportunity to be able to to really tell the story properly and fully. Um, I was obviously in Bundaberg and and in and around that Childers area for three years when I worked up there in two thousand to two thousand and three. And my parents live in Childers now and have done for the last 10 years. So I've been in and around Childers and particularly um, that memorial there, you know, for 13 of the last 20 years. And I, and I pop in every time I'm, I'm back there and pay my respects. And I, I re- it really struck me that um, there's a, we've started to develop a generation gap on the story of, of Childers and, and its legacy. And I, I really wanted to ensure that that story continued to be told, continued to be understood and the, and the victims continued to be honoured, but not just the victims, the community volunteers, the, the excellent governance that took place at the time and the 69 survivors that, that what they went through and their ordeal really does have a platform to be told more fully. And I thought a podcast platform, uh, would open up that door you know there's an opportunity for people to have a very engaged and open conversation and really articulate what they went through um a lot of people have never had that platform before which um and i particularly pursued some uh, some people who i knew hadn't had the opportunity to to try and tell that story before 
Um, and also the podcast platform is a free option for people and it and it has no global restrictions. So, you know, there's a very international international mix of, of people involved in, in the children's story from survivors and, and obviously the 15 people who lost their lives. So having the opportunity to be able to put it on a platform where people, no matter where you are around the world, can tune in at their own pace um, and, and their own time and um, and get a better understanding of what happened, I thought was really important. And, you know, if and if a podcast can make people take be a bit more aware of what happened, stop into the town, um, pop into the memorial, pay their respects, and, you know, pull over, grab a sandwich, grab a coffee, you know, give back to that town that gave so much to those um, to those people at the time. And and some businesses did it really tough at the time. Um, if 20 years on, we can give back to that community and um, by people stopping in and paying their respects and, you know, spending a few dollars where required, um, I think that's really important as well. Thanks, Paul, for that great insight into why you decided to create the Childers, the Full Story podcast to provide a platform for those stories. Tune in next week for the next instalment of our interview with Paul. Next, we're joined by Sue Ann, who is going to talk to us about the multiplexer's role in the business events industry. Hello, it's Sue Ann Chapman, Manager Tourism and Events, again with you this week. Today, I'm going to talk about business events and specifically the multiplex Bundaberg's Sport and Convention Centre. Business events in Australia is a $30 billion industry and Bundaberg is well-placed to secure a percentage of that potential income with the development of a business and marketing plan maximising the region's purpose-built conference centre, the Bundaberg Multiplex Sport and Convention Centre. The $30 million multiplex was purpose-built in 2017 to cater for all sports, events, conference and meeting requirements, small and large. Over the past 12 months, the multiplex has been paying dividends for the region with the world-class facility hosting a range of major events. From sporting championships to gala dinners, event organisers have been taking advantage of the versatile venue. Centrally located on the doorstep to the Southern Great Barrier Reef, the Bundaberg Multiplex Sport and Convention Centre is an easily accessible venue, only 10 minutes from the Bundaberg Regional Airport and Railway Station. At the beginning of 2020, the venue was well on its way to achieving financial and visitation goals when COVID put the brakes on our positive trajectory. In December 29 and February 2020, representatives from the region had taken the venue to national and international professional conference organisers' events to promote the facility and our beautiful region. As a consequence of the strategic marketing and networking, two conferences were booked for May. As heartbreaking as it has been to cancel conferences, gala dinners, charity events and community activations, we're working hard with industry representatives to rebook the activity for 2021. With a detailed COVID safe plan in place, we are confident of our staff and guests' safety when we open our doors and this is actually going to happen on Monday the 15th of June. 
Now, through our relationships with and membership of the Business Events Council of Australia and Venue Management Association, we have accessed the most current safe practices and best practice plans. As of Monday, June 8, the business events and entertainment industries came together to form the Live Events Industry Forum. And this is to guide venues in the transition from crisis to recovery for the Australian venue management industry. As a collective of Australia's biggest promoters and of entertainment and sport, venue managers, the Venue Management Association and other industry peak bodies, Live Events Industry Forum's aim is to build confidence in our industry's preparedness to operate safely, flexibly and sustainably. The Multiplex will open its doors on Monday 15 June and we look forward to hosting you at our venue in the near future. In the immediate future, if you have 20 guests or less, we have the venue space for you and can provide an extensive range of spaces and configurations with state-of-the-art tech support to assist keeping you COVID safe. Thanks, Sue Ann, for showing us how the Multiplex Sports and Convention Centre is leading the way in business events. We'll hear now from Rod Ainsworth about an exciting new project. Hi, I'm Rod Ainsworth, Manager Arts and Cultural Services at Bundaberg Regional Council. We've talked over the last couple of weeks about our digital hashtag ArtsBundy at Home program, which has been really connecting with people all over our region and beyond during the pandemic shutdowns, especially for our galleries and theatre. So I'd like to highlight one special part of this program. It's a project called The Space Between. So we recognise that this is an incredibly significant historical moment. There hasn't been a pandemic of this magnitude for 100 years. So collecting people's stories from our region is a really important thing. We've created a space for you to tell your own stories, what the pandemic has meant to you, whether that's a story of hope, of hardship, of change or transition, or of silver linings. Whatever you'd like to tell us, you can enter your story online and it's completely anonymous. There are no rules, no character limits. It can be as long or as short as you like. We only ask that you keep the language appropriate. Responses will go into a digital archive and only specific staff will read them. Then down the track, we're hoping that we can use these stories as part of our community's recovery to tell some real stories about what happened. You'll find the space between and all the details on our Arts Bundaberg site, www.artsbundaberg.com.au. Go to the site, click on the search function and type in the space between. It'll be the first thing that comes up on your search. We'd love to hear from you, your families, your friends. Do share it around. We've already started to get some great submissions and we'd love to read yours. Again, search the space between on artsbundaberg.com.au. Thanks, Rod. I can't wait to hear the stories that come out of this project. Now, we'll hear from Bryce Cadets about macadamia species within our region. So tell us, Bryce, what is your role regarding the wild macadamias? Well, in terms of uh, the the uh wild macadamia population. I'm a member of the uh, Macadamia Conservation Trust and have been since its formation, served as the inaugural um, chairman of the trust, recently stepped down from that and uh, the illustrious Paul O'Hare has taken over, Paul's ex-DPI, he's taken over that role now but I've been serving uh, on that uh, trust now for quite a few years. We have a selection of macadamia species in the Bundaberg Botanic Gardens. What do you think of this range and just how important are they? Very important and probably critically so in some regards. I had the pleasure of being here the day the trees were planted and they were planted for a purpose and that is to contribute towards the conservation of the four species of wild macadamias and they're all represented here. Uh, Integrifolia, which is the common nut that's uh, utilised in the commercial industry, 
uh, uh, tetraphylla, uh, which is the southern equal to that, grows mostly in New South Wales, not much in uh, Queensland. And then there's a turnifoli, which is a bitter nut, uh, not edible of its own. And then the latest uh, find, of course, which is uh, it's as rare as the Woolamai pine, that's the macadamia jansenite. was only uh, discovered uh, north of here in the Jinjin area in the 1980s. Uh, 60 trees in the original uh, patch of them that was found. Recently, thankfully, one of the two fellows who was involved uh, originally has located another small family of the same trees. So we were a little better off than we thought we were. So we have one of the rarest trees here. What's the significance of having this rare tree in our gardens? These wild macadamia trees have still got a major role to fill in terms of developing new cultivars, new varieties into the future. And that's one of the primary reasons that we want to see them conserved. Many Australians aren't aware of the fact that macadamias are native to Australia. Regardless of where you find a macadamia anywhere in the world, it had its beginnings right here. Um, and uh, the recent publicity uh, relating to the mother tree, the mother of all macadamias, now being established to a big tree just to the west of Gympie. And that tree still exists. And that's where they collected the original seed nuts, took them to Hawaii back in the 1800s, and the Hawaiians uh, developed the first commercial cultivars from that. You must be pretty proud to know that we have some of the oldest and rarest species in the world right here. We have got the oldest and the rarest. Um, no one else has them. Uh, if there's a macadamia tree anywhere in the world, and I suspect that these days there would be approaching, uh, this is a guess, but 150 to 200 million uh, commercial macadamia trees in the world, uh, they all began their life right here in Queensland. You mentioned some of the specifics of what we have here. What's the difference between the macadamia trees we have here in the gardens? Well, there's quite a difference. Uh, if I take, uh, if you like, the lesser nut first, the, uh, the turnifolia, uh, it's not used commercially. Its nut is not edible uh, in its raw form. It could be used for uh, crossbreeding, but there hasn't been much done with that particular nut. It, it's a member of the macadamia family and it exists. Uh, it's noted for its beautiful foliage when it puts out a flush. Lovely foliage and very pretty uh, flowers. So aesthetically, it's a pleasant tree, but it's an important member of the, of the family. Uh, you've got the integrifolia, which is the common nut that has formed the basis of the commercial industry. And that's the Queensland, known commonly as a Queensland nut or bopple nut uh, by traditionalists. And uh, it's that nut or uh, hybrids of that that form the backbone of the industry. The uh, tetraphylla uh, is the southern uh, equivalent, if you like, to the integrifolia. Uh, it's not as favoured in the macadamia industry and by and large um, its shell's a bit thicker, smaller kernel size, uh, doesn't quite yield as well as in, uh, integrifolia and uh, it's not favoured by processors because of that reason. Uh, it's a thick shell, rough shell nut. Then of course you've got the Jansen eye, which is the other end of the spectrum. It's a very small nut uh, the size of your thumbnail, uh, but the advantage that it's got, well, there are two advantages. One is it has a very thin shell. Uh, the second one is it was found in a very dry, hot, lonely gully in the Jinjin area. And we believe that its characteristics 
will enable it to be used for crossbreeding purposes to actually allow macadamias to be grown in areas that currently they haven't been grown in up to this point. So it, it actually potentially expands uh, the areas that macadamias will be grown in. There has been some crossbreeding done with it by the specialists and they produced some edible uh, kernel crossbreeding with a 60% kernel recovery. That is 60% of the weight of the nut was kernel rather than shell, and that's opposed to an industry standard of about 33%. So in the future, they will play a, a big role. Thank you, Bryce, for that interesting look at the macadamia species we have in our region. We hope you enjoyed listening to today's program and that you join us again next week for more news and stories from the Bundaberg region. Goodbye for now. Mm-hmm.